couple weeks ago, I got back from my holidays uh, where I finally got to meet you in person. Or happily, yeah, sorry about that. Unhappily, yeah, I don't know. Your, your hair is much crazier in person than it, it is, is though. through photos. Um, I, I want to talk about this trip a little bit just because it was a really awesome time. It was a yeah. crazy two weeks. I was super exhausted when I came back. But it was also really, really good. I, um, I started off going to Denver to essentially go meet JD Flynn, which was an amazing time. He's got a beautiful family there and meet a bunch of staff at Catholic News Agency and they're doing a lot of great work there. Bought them pizza to say thank you for the good work they're doing because Oh, look at that. He said I said, what's outside of saying mass for them, what's what which I do on a monthly basis, um, what else do you guys need? He goes, They love pizza. <laughs> uh, That's so good. They love pizza. I was like, cool. So that was really cool. And for me, the highlight of my trip, so then before I get to the highlight, then I, after being with the sisters, which was my highlight, I mm-hmm. I went to Washington, D.C. I got to meet Jonathan and Shannon Last, who I've gotten to know through Twitter. Yeah. We had a big Twitter meetup with about 50 different people from Twitter on the Thursday night in Washington. I'm a nerd this way for some holiday time. I went to lectures at the John Paul II Institute. Oh, be more boring. They were really, really good. The, one of the classes I sat on with Father Prospery, he talked about his classes on his ecclesiology, and he was talking about Mary, and he gave a two-hour, just on-fire lecture about and why you the immac- were loving it. You were it was, loving every second. It, it was all about the Immaculate Conception, and it was flipping amazing. And I was in heaven. <laughs> I ate lots of chick. Cool. I ate lots of Chick Fil A on my trip, which was great. Went to Pittsburgh with you guys, but we've talked mm-hmm. about that. People have heard the podcast and those. But for me, the highlight was the six days. Sorry, you were not the highlight. It was great to be with you and hang out with you guys too, obviously. But the real highlight, the highlight of highlights. Yes. Was being with the missionaries of charity. Oh, that's fair. I can't compete with the missionaries of charity. I think people <laughs> saw me tweeting about it and they could tell. I said the people, this is like a taste of heaven. Mm. I got to teach them for five days on the theology of Pope Benedict, which was really cool. And you were, you were freaking out about those talks and how they yeah. ended up going. They've invited me back next year. Hey, that's a win. <laughs> Count it, man. Yeah, it was, I, I was freaking out because I'm always, and I had to do some of the, I had to write some of the talks while I was there because I ran out of time beforehand. <laughs> but so I was still kind of underprepared in that sense, but they still went really well. I have about 60 handwritten pages of notes uh, from my lectures. So when I write, when I do talks, I always handwrite them because it's just better for me to keep it in my mind. Yeah, for your brain. Typing type talks just aren't as fluid. Um, and so I taught three, I did three lectures a day. I, I said mass for them every day. I did adoration for them every day. I heard confessions and it was just a real joy for me. So again, cause I've worked with them for a year, two thirds of the sisters who are my class, I, I've worked with them before a particular sister who I, I, I mean, it's really hard to be friends with the missionaries of charity. <laughs> These sisters <laughs> don't develop friendships easily. Sure. But one of, one of them who I would say is about as much of a friend as they can be sister Faustine. She was in the class. Mm-hmm. And I worked with her at their gift of love in San Francisco. And it was her feast day on the Friday. It was St. Faustine's feast day. So mm-hmm. I got to celebrate mass for her. And she came up to me afterwards. She goes, 
I'm so happy it was you who got to say my feast day mass, which was Aww. super endearing. I was like, that's lovely. That's really, that's very nice. There is just something, I don't know if you've had experiences hanging out and teaching or, or just hanging out with religious, there's really something compliment, complimentary about uh, priests and religious working together. They, yeah. There is, there's a real, it's an expression of Christian love, obviously in like a, a non-sexual way, obviously, but yeah. like, like in a beautiful way that images really and truly Christ's love for his church in a, in a non-sacramental way, but it really images it. And there's something life-giving about being with sisters. And I think yeah. they feel the same way about when priests are around for them. Have you had mm -hmm. experiences with religious like yeah, that? Or? Yeah, I've had a few, um, uh, particularly with um, the religious sisters. Um, uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> my brain's you're turning pull, up. You're pulling a Father Harrison. I am, I am. But yeah, down in Stouffville, <laughs> the TOR sisters, my goodness. Um, that I've, uh, I was able to say mass for them once um, when I was ordained and, and they've been around. But there's something about it. Only priests can really understand priests. Right. Like period. Yeah. Like I even have, I have good friends I'm very close to, like my some of my very, very best friends. Um, they were in seminary with me, but now they're married. Mm -hmm. And I can share a lot with them, but they're still not priests. There's still some things that it's just not going to, you know. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. In in a way that's kind of similar but kind of different. There's a way in which like priests and religious sisters, we kind of we kind of get each other, even though yeah. we're very different. Yeah. Like um, they have a deeper understanding of community than diocesan do, but we kind of get it because of seminary. Yeah. yeah. There's this kind of thing like, and we're and we're both. Here's the thing. Even though we love each other, we both know that like we're not as holy as other people think we are. Yeah. Have you experienced like there's something yeah, yeah, like yeah. it is almost like something about that. There's not as much pressure almost. Exactly. Like right. you can be more your, you, you don't have, whether you like it or not, you're always on with parishioners. Yeah. You're not quite like that with sisters, although you're terrified at the same time when you have to teach or preach to them. Cause like with sure. the MCs, you're like, you guys are so much holier than I am. I don't even know why yeah. you're listening to me. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, my heart was singing. Like it, I was physically exhausted the whole time but spiritually renewed. And I've, I, I'm crazy this way. I actually said to the sisters, cause I get about four weeks of holidays every year. Mm -hmm. I said, you guys, whatever you need from me, you get three weeks of my holidays every year. So whatever wow. you need, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, it was really, and I, I it, just another little sister. I got to hang out, not little sister, I should say, but, uh, um, when I was in Washington, I had a couple hours, I had lunch and got to hang out with sister Bethany. Mm -hmm. um, oh, Pauline's yeah. sister, yeah, yeah, and I got, and then uh, we ran into Grace, uh, engaged egg from Twitter as well. So she had lunch with us and hung out, and it was really nice. But yeah, being with religious, there's just something beautiful. I don't have a whole. I got maybe a couple religious in my diocese. They're not very. We just don't have a lot here. Sure. So I don't really get exposed to it very often, and so being with mm -hmm. those MCs especially is, and man, they cook you so much food. <laughs> Holy smokes. It's like you realize I only have one stomach sister. <laughs> right. But it's a real honor for them. They really, yeah. So it was a real joy. And I spent six months in Gallup and I, some people who I volunteered with came out to, from different, wherever they live to see, and I got to see old friends in town and it was a really, I hadn't been back there in over five years. So it was really nice to go back and to check things out. So, yeah. Lovely. So welcome, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. And I'm Father Anthony. How are you doing, Father Anthony? I'm doing well. So uh, I am once again hanging out at uh, Producer Nick's house. Mm -hmm. And Producer Nick, he, he works for my diocese. And he works in the communications department. And um, 
So he does you know communication stuff. He does video stuff. He does a lot of stuff for them. Yeah. But his boss is another friend of mine, also named Nick. And this mm-hmm. is Father Nick. So you've got regular Nick. You've got Father Nick. Okay. Anyway, so he, he's actually over right now, and they're both kind of hanging out and talking. Um, yeah. But I was talking about my experience with my new assignments because where I am, Father Nick used to be. Right. And so I have this lovely chapel in my rectory <laughs> right across the hallway. He was the one who got the permission for the chapel, set it up. So I was thanking him for that. We were talking about parishioners because um, he really loved his assignment, and I'm you know slowly you know coming to fall in love with, assi- with this assignment myself. We started talking about some of the struggles. Well, he works in the communications department. He told me today there was a plane. You know those banners that, that trail behind planes? I saw that in the priest DM. Yeah. There's a photo so, of that in the priest DM. So <laughs> flying above the Diocese of Pittsburgh, above our beautiful city, was this plane that said uh, Bishop Zubik resign, right? But the kicker is that they spelled my bishop's name wrong. So they have this misspelling of Bishop Zubik's name, and it's floating above the city. So that's what he got to deal with. How's the bishop going to get the message if they spelt his name wrong? Obviously, it's a different bishop. They're going to have to ask a different bishop to resign. There are better ways to spend your money to voice your opinion, I think. You know what? I'm going to disagree. I think the best way to voice your opinion is to hire a plane to carry a banner (laughs) and to use a misspelled word to get your point across. Because I will never... Never forget this story. It so, will be told from priesthood generation to priesthood generation. I, I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but have things settled down a bit for you guys? Like, I know you guys have had the moves and everything, but have things settled, because you guys are center point of the news this summer. Have things settled right. down on the news front with you guys a bit? Or <laughs> no, it's, locally? it's picking back up again. Isn't oh, because of the AG's investigation yeah. or whatever? Yeah. So the FBI is coming in to, um, to examine things. Oh, fun. Um, yeah, which is it's actually an important thing to do because they yeah, can yeah. do any kind of like um, they have a lot of resources that across, you don't have across state and stuff um, that they can investigate those things. So it's good that they're investigating. Mm-hmm. So um, I right. mean, it's unlikely that anything terribly new will pop up. Right. Um, but if it if it does, that's good. You know, bring it yeah. all out. Um, so there's that. Uh, but to be honest, to be honest, even though there are a lot of people who are deeply affected by this, the whole reorganization of the diocese. This is yeah. the craziest thing. Catholics are so freaking weird. What? So it's really it's really not this whole scandal thing that's bothered most Catholics in my diocese, as I have come to understand. It's that in many parishes across our diocese, because of the reorganization, the 4 p.m. Saturday Mass has changed for mm-hmm. many parishes. So it's moved. And mm-hmm. that is by far what is causing the most controversy in my diocese, that I don't have my mass time. So you guys have a 4 p.m. vigil? Yeah, it's as early as you can make it. Yeah, it's, um, and it's, it's, it's funny because, huh. to be perfectly honest, this is the mass that all of our dear old folk go to. <laughs> like, if you want to find where all the old folk, like, actually, most young families that i've experienced they'll come to like the latest morning sunday mass or the earlier sunday mass but not like a 10 a.m not mid-morning if there's yeah right if there's sports yeah. um if the kids are, are, are small enough hmm. they need that time in the morning to you know get them all wrangled and like wrestle them into the car yeah. and all that stuff so they'll come to the later ones um but uh you have these um yeah older people who are just so mad about the changing of the mass times 
and it's so this has been driving me crazy this has been driving me absolutely i'm just gonna yell a bunch okay what okay we, yes. we were testing the mics earlier to see how they handle the yelling so turn your volume down and yell. No, no, no i'm just gonna step away from the mic and just yell like this so okay okay i had a meeting and first of all, all meetings should be illegal forever. No more meetings. I'm declaring meetings right now. Meetings are canceled. Meetings no, are canceled. You, you, you can send me an email. Okay. So this meeting was was kind of important. But it was on our normal Tuesday lunch meeting, which is normally like a check-in for the priests that in my group. We check in, we talk about stuff, blah, blah, blah. So I figured it'd be like about an hour. But it was four hours long. Four and a half. Actually, it was longer. It was four and a half hours long, and I had to leave because I had other stuff to do people and don't see this right now i'm making a really disgusted face at the moment it's, it, uh, oh, oh. yeah okay so but we, we, we're doing a lot of important stuff but we're trying to figure out holy day mass schedules so we're trying to figure out you know what parish can hold the most people and at what time and then we have to like divvy up so everyone gets a mass and we have to make sure that the priests are all you know going to the right places so that not one priest goes to one place, one place goes to the other. Oh, but no, if this parish doesn't have this mass at this time, there's going to be angry people. Oh, wait, yeah. if this parish... And it's like, guess what? You all have to deal with it. Like, just <laughs> just no, no. Guess what? No more being nice. No more Mr. Nice Priest. Either you go to mass or you go to hell. Deal with it. We have seven <laughs> parishes. Time we have so many mass, mass times. Just freaking drive. You drive to Walmart, don't you? You drive to get your hair cut. Drive to freaking mass. You don't have anything else to do because you're retired. And just here's the go. Thing. Deal so, with it. Be <laughs> I, there's some steam coming out of your head. <laughs> I'm just done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done being nice. I'm done being nice. Guess what? So, no. no. I... I being having been in Pittsburgh, I for me it was like so weird because I thought, oh my gosh, seven parishes like that's a lot of driving. And I'm like, but actually, a lot of these parishes are really close to each other, right? The farthest, the farthest, yeah. and I have like the whole freaking Lawrence County, more or less, yeah, in Western PA. The farthest is like 17 minutes, exactly. I mean, I've I was walking in parts of Pittsburgh. There are churches really, really close to each other, like blocks away. Oh, yeah. You can right? see one church from the other church. I mean, you get a sense of just how Catholic Pittsburgh was at one point mm -hmm. because there's just, it, it's crazy. So, but that's the thing. It's like, you got a car. What's a 10 minute drive? Yeah. It's not. Why, why is this? And, and yet, it, these are going to, I hate to say it, but often, the, the people who are complaining about this are also going to be the same people who are going to be complaining that, well, why isn't the priest doing this and that? I'm like, well, because we don't have enough priests. Why don't we have enough priests? I'm like, because you didn't give us your sons. And, mm -hmm. right? And it's just like, you know, priests are human beings who don't just say mass all the time. While the, the mass is the center of what we do, it's not where we spend most of our time doing. Mm -hmm. And... It, if you want us to burn out and have even less priests and make this even worse, mm -hmm. then fine. We're going to add more mass times. But then in five years, you're going to have half the priests, and you're going to—it's going to be even worse for you. You're going to have to drive a half hour somewhere. Yeah, because so, you're not going to have Father Anthony saying mass because Father yeah. Anthony is going to be in jail for punching an old lady in the face. That's what's going to happen <laughs> to Father Anthony if you guys keep being so freaking crazy. Okay, so I—you've got one, a crazy look in your eyes. So a, a caveat, a few caveats. <laughs> Most of the people in my parishes, while they are understandably bummed that things are changing, right? Everyone's upset by this. We're all bummed out, right? Which is a normal, healthy reaction. 
most people are doing their best. Yes. We had this beautiful event where we gathered together the parishes and we all had, we had five masses over the weekend at a high school. And we had mm-hmm. the music ministries together. We, and they worked well together and they were enthusiastic from different parishes. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful and energetic and people loved it. Right. And plus it was the occasion for one of your most epic photos ever. Oh, right, exactly. Check yeah. out my profile picture on, on Twitter. It's I look amazing. <laughs> so that so like, you know, graces abounded that weekend, yes. to say the very least. So like that's going on and that's great. Uh, and I think most of the people who are complaining, they're they're a vocal minority. I will say that. And I also like we are trying very hard to be as helpful as we possibly can be. Because mm-hmm. if we can put in the extra effort to make you feel a little bit more comfortable and for you to give us a chance, like we're going to do that because we really do love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though you're acting like a bunch of wrinkly old babies, we love you very much. And we understand that it's a difficult thing to go through. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm very triggered. This was not a good day to do the podcast. There's a lot of emotions going on. So um, that's been going on. Um, uh, well, speaking of of, of um, wrinkly things, someone who would be really wrinkly because he's eight hundred years old is Saint Thomas Aquinas, who invented the Summa Theologica, Ooh. of which our Summa Tweetologica is named after. So, folks, it's time for Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about the That being said, <laughs> Thomas would very much disagree because right now, wait, he's, it, before the resurrection, he wouldn't be wrinkly, right? He's, uh, he's, eight, he's 800 years old. Okay, I get it. I will say this. Man, you took this epic, giant like U-turn to get to that segue, and good job. Good Thank job. You. I can't take that from you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Let's get some, some, let's get to some let's, tweets. Let's get some tweets here. All right. I... This tweet, I just thought, was very emblematic of a lot of things you can see on Twitter. Don Foster. Yeah. From from England. We're we're going overseas now. Not just a fake country north of Canada, but a Mm -hmm. fake country east of North America. Perfect. Sorry, north of the the United States. Sorry, Canada's not real. Exactly. Um, Don Foster says this. Becoming an atheist because an egg avatar man I don't follow with 18 numbers after his name said God's not real. <laughs> Bummer. Because Don, she was a great, faithful Catholic. And yeah, now, I know. Guess and what? That random yeah. dude on Twitter, I guess, must have convinced her with it, with his excellent arguments. Exactly. It was, it was, you see this a lot on Twitter. It's not just that. You see, I mean, you get these random people who reply to threads. You're just thinking, What? It really peeks into this whole thing that there's a lot of things that are said on Twitter, just absolutely, honestly nonsense. And you're wondering, what are you actually saying? 
So Twitter, when it's at its best, it's people talking to each other and listening to each other. Yeah. At its worst, it's people just talking to themselves on the internet, right? Yeah. And that's what a lot of like these like, conversations with atheists, and not even atheists, a lot of times other Catholics too, where you're just just stroking your own ego. You're just going at it. You don't care about yeah. the other person at all. So yeah, exactly. That can happen. Yeah. What do you got? Okay. Okay. Speaking about me being like super angry about everything and yeah. mass schedules, this is from Meg Hunter Kilmer at Meg Hunter Kilmer. Why do so many churches schedule daily mass at the same time as all their neighbors and always at 8 a.m.? Work out a schedule with other local parishes so that each day there's a 6.30 a.m., 8, noon, and 7 p.m. Make it possible for people with jobs and kids to get to mass. Yeah. So okay. I have Go ahead. many feelings about this. Yeah. First of all, I decided, well, we decided for Christmas, we are having uh, four, no, um, what are we having? We're having six, I think, 4 p.m. Christmas vigil masses. So we have seven parishes, yeah. six of them will have a 4 p.m. mass. And I guarantee you- but how many all priests of those, do you have? We have four priests. One retired priest, so five, and we'll bring in one extra. Okay. Gotcha. We'll bring in someone from downtown, right? Gotcha. So sometimes, like, you just need that number. Now, what she's talking about is different. Yeah. First of all, no mass should be before 8 a.m. because Father Anthony is not a morning person. You know, <laughs> I give up a lot of stuff yeah. for you guys. Making me do a 6.30 mass, what are you trying to do? You trying to kill me? You trying to kill me? But I will agree with this. I will agree yeah. with this. Like, parishes should work together. And you do need like a late mass for people who have like crazy um, shifts at a hospital or something. So I get it. It's actually yeah. a very good yeah, point. Yeah. But sometimes yeah. I feel like people are like, "Hey, priest, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't priests just do that? Just have more." I'm doing all I can. I'm trying so hard to make you happy and bring you to Jesus. Stop yelling at me on Twitter. I'm trying. <laughs> are you gonna be okay? He's 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 kind of curled up on the couch in the fetal position. I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I I responded to this because I think in some ways she's right. Like we we set up mass times sometimes where they aren't accessible for people who work during the day. That yeah, being said, I have seen I have seen parishes try and offer masses at more convenient times for people who work, and the same people who complain about this then never show up for the weekday mass. Yes. Yes, I've, yes, yes, yes. I mean, now, again, I'm in a smaller diocese, so that's it's a bit different here. I think it'd be a lot different if you're in a bigger place with a lot more Catholics. And I do agree, mm -hmm. if you have a lot of churches in an area, you guys should work together. Um, uh, but, like, we don't, like in Victoria, we don't have an evening mass at the cathedral for one simple, well, first, because there's only two priests there. But mm -hmm. secondly, um, we find that downtown dies kind of after 5 p.m., so no one's going to come anyways. Yeah. But we have a good turnout at the noon mass. People come in our lunch breaks. Uh, not too bad at the 8 a.m. Here it's, you know, again, you're only one person, and I, I don't mind the idea of doing evening stuff. I, I want to be convenient to other people, but it shouldn't be to the point where it makes, uh, where it doesn't allow me to have sufficient room to do other things. Not that mass is not important, uh, but as well as so I don't go insane and burn out. Yeah, and the struggle is one that's good. Like both people and priests could do a better job of working this out, I think.
But also there's this thing I've experienced in my diocese is where priests have bent over backwards doing everything they can for so long to make things just convenient for people yeah. that now when we have to change things, when all of our priests are old and dying and mm. myself and Father Alex Schrank will be the only priests in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, yep. you know, uh, that like people cannot handle kind of sucking it up and changing their schedule, which is different yeah. from what um, she's saying. Absolutely. But these yeah. are just these yeah, are yeah. things that made me think of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I... There's a couple I want to go. Oh, okay. This is one I struggled with. It's from another priest, so I'm going to be, but I struggled with this just, one. Just go for it. Father John Hollowell. Oh, yeah. He says, many seminarians think I will speak hard truths once I'm ordained. Once ordained, they think I will speak hard truths once I'm a pastor. Once I'm a pastor, they think I'll speak hard truths once I'm a bishop. And they awaken one day to realize they've they've spent decades being a coward. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Can I tell I you right be... away why this tweet bothers you? Yes. So, Nick, I'm going to write down this time. 24, 30, there we go. Hi, everyone. Producer Nick here. Father Anthony wanted me to edit out a word that he said in the podcast. But to get the point across, he was talking about a donkey. A donkey named Jack. Get it? Thanks. This has been Producer Nick. Because a lot of times when priests or seminarians talk about hard truths, what they mean is I should be allowed to be a donkey. Right. And so when we hear hard truth, we think of that. And we're like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Settle down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I got to be honest, that's never been a thought of mine. Like, not in the sense of, like, I've never thought, okay, yeah, the hard truth. I'm really going to talk about this and that. It's it's never really been a thought of mine because if you're authentic to the your role as a homilist, you're going to let the readings form what you need to say rather than you form the readings and to twist them into something you want to say. Yeah. Right? So I, and also, which if a pastor's thinking when I'm a bishop, they need to be smacked across right, the head. Right, exactly. <laughs> because who yeah, wants to be good. a bishop? No, thank you. Um, and it's it's this it's this weird idea that we we have this sense that all we have to do is speak hard truth all the time. But the thing is, truth is never hard. In the sense of like, it's not a hammer that you hit people over the head with, yeah. because. <laughs> This is a beef of mine theologically. When we separate truth from beauty and goodness, it, that's exactly what it becomes. Oh, it, beco yeah. it becomes something you hit over the head with people and you say, you need to accept this because it's the truth and I don't care what you feel, you're going to accept it. That has never been the Catholic position about truth. Mm -hmm. Truth, my, I, my principle is you must always speak the truth in a beautiful way for the good of the other. Amen. And... I've always believed this. And so, yeah, there are hard truths of Catholicism. Absolutely. But they must be told beautifully because it'll attract. Mm -hmm. And it must be said for their salvation and for their good. And if I'm just going at them saying, you're going to hell if you keep on doing this like that, I'm, I hate to say it, I'm going to, most people will not, there are better ways to say that. Like, mm -hmm. I guess it's, it's an idea of form and content. What you say is almost just as important as how you say it. 
So I don't agree with that tweet because I've never thought that because there are ways to present the truths of the church and their faith without without hammering it over people's heads. Yeah. So I guess the one the, the kernel of truth because he is getting yeah, at something that's true here of in course. his tweet about truth. I remember the first time I was reading the readings and I was a deacon. So yeah. I had you know, preached in seminary, but it was my summer assignment. And like, I was reading the readings and I just felt moved like this is a good time to preach about contraception. Yeah. And I was like, but I really would rather not preach about contraception. Right. Because this is the one, like it was one of the sticking points because it hasn't been preached about for, you know, so long. Mm-hmm. And because so many Catholics do like, I just like, and I was new Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm a deacon and I'm, you know, still like, still now a young kid. Like, no mm-hmm. one's going to take me seriously. Yeah. I'd rather not. I'd rather preach about something nice and, and have people like me. Like, I struggle mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking with my pastor and he gave me um, great encouragement. He said, Hey, whatever you feel like you need to talk about, if that's what the Spirit's moving you to talk about, then, then go for it. Yeah. And I did. And that first time, it was the worst. I was, <laughs> I was, I was sweating. I was yeah. clunky. It was, it was not a good homily. Yeah. But it's it, since then I've, I've learned to like, I've preached enough where I've learned to relax in it. You know, you can yeah. talk about that stuff. Um, so I understand that there can be a fear and a desire to be liked, And that is something we must always reject, but you're right because it's not just about saying hard truths at people. It's about yeah. communicating the truth to people and with people in love. And so, you know, I've talked, I've said, hey, you know what? If you're doing this, that's a good yeah. chance you're going to go to hell if you keep doing that, right? Yeah. But like, I've developed a relationship with the people. I've yeah. not held anything back, but I haven't been a jerk about it either. Exactly. Right? And I mean, because if you're saying something just to make yourself feel good and make yourself feel righteous, yeah. then you're going to do great harm to the truth. Exactly. If you're exactly. speaking a quote-unquote hard truth with love to people, if you're looking at those people and you love them and then you're mm-hmm. speaking, then yeah, you can tell them anything you want and it'll be good. Yeah, totally. So, so I, yeah. I, 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 I don't want to say it, did you, but I just, did you lose? I, just, I just lost the thought. Um, oh, no. Nah. That's good. That's this your, is going to be a new clerically good. speaking uh, drinking game here. Uh, wait a second wait a second right we'll do this because we have time um nick i want you to insert after this sentence your new little bumper for when father harrison loses he's gonna do it right now go nick you did it you forgot <laughs> father harrison sure does forget a lot Yay! <laughs> Did you find he oh, still have yeah, a I remember. It? Okay, yeah, yeah. There, good, it good, there good, it is. Good. There it is. There it is. This is why I pause because it's like it's there. It's there. It's just gotta <laughs> get it out. Here's the other thing: is like sometimes the hard, the truth of something, which is a good truth to preach about, isn't appropriate for the context. So, my parish at the moment, as it is, is eighty percent over seventy-five. Talking about contraception is not a an issue that is. It's not deep. a number one priority. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There are. We have more number one priorities, like how do we build up our parish? I'm not saying it's not important, but I'm like, this context doesn't, it's not really necessary to talk about here because they're literally not able to have kids. So why would you talk about this? Would, 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 okay, maybe it can inform them, but, and you can, there's other ways to inform them. It doesn't always have to be from a homily. 
if you if you but have courage there's courage to speak the truth is never going to be this need to kind of go after people with a hammer the courage yeah. courage always comes from christian love yeah and it'll express itself in a loving way there are times where you have to be very blunt about it Absolutely. Like, to be clear so that people understand it and get it but otherwise it's like there are yeah i don't know i can go on i'm just i'm gonna stop there but yeah yeah okay what do you got Good. Oh, oh, I do have something. Ba, 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 ba. Oh, this is from at Katie Prejean. Yeah. Katie Prejean Magrade, yeah. right? Yeah. That's how you pronounce her name, right? Sure. Okay. She says, a man just boarded <laughs> this plane with an entire pizza. That was his personal item. An entire pizza in a box. A whole pizza as his carry-on. As in... There is a whole pizza under the seat in front of him. A whole pizza in a box, still warm. A whole pizza. I have so many questions. That was amazing. Right? I think that was a good reading of that too, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I really got the feeling behind that tweet. <laughs> well, first I'm wondering, why does he only have one carry-on? Usually you're allowed a carry-on and a, and a personal item. Right, you can have his carry-on pizza and then a personal item, which is his personal pan pizza that you just kind of keep right pizza. there, right? What kind of toppings has he got? Right? There's so many, so many unanswered questions. And then she is says it? this. As a response, she says, So I feel like folks want a follow-up to the mystery of Mr. Pizza is my personal item on the plane. But the story is so good and so stinking sweet that I may just have to save it for my next book. And I think, Katie, that is very selfish of you. Yeah. We demand answers. We, we at Clerical we Pod... We Demand. want answers now. <laughs> Speaking of books, I know we're kind of in Summa Tweet Logica, but yeah. uh, you got a book in the mail. I did. I got a lovely book. It's actually right next to me as I pull it out of the box. I have before me, Remember Your Death, a Memento Mori journal. And it is by Sister Teresa Alafia. And she's yep. a sister you find on Twitter, always tweeting about death and stuff. And people yep. still don't get this about her. They're like, oh, why do you talk about death? Because it's Catholic. That's why she does it. It yeah. reminds us that God is the most important thing. Anywho, so, so it's a really nice book. They've sent us both a copy to review and stuff like that. I'm waiting, I'm waiting in Canada still because obviously you can't send mail to a fake country. Exactly. Uh, it's very difficult. It's probably getting returned right now. But here, here's my thing. You didn't yeah. just get a book, did you? No, I didn't just get a book. I got a nice little letter and a little request, you know, asking to like tweet about it, which I will very soon. But I also got this super sweet looking um, metallic skull. And it's, it's a nice hefty skull that I'm gonna put on my desk. And Father Harrison, I believe that you, did not, you are not going to get a skull, are you? So we're very grateful for the gift, right? And I'm looking forward to receiving the book right. as well. But I got an email but, saying they couldn't send me a skull because it's so expensive to send to Canada. I want my skull. <laughs> <laughs> How am I supposed to remember my death if I don't see it in the face every single day? We are a sacramental people. We need images to see things, to let them communicate us to ourselves. And I demand a skull. Now, speaking <laughs> of sacramentals, this is actually a great segue. 
okay. into our next segment with presbyteral or exhortations where we're going to talk about sacramentality. So let's kick it off, producer Nick. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the oh, best part. Oh, yes. yes, quite. Yes, quite. All right. Father Anthony. Yes. What's a what's a sacrament? Basic oh, catechism okay. question. I'm putting you on the spot. Yes. Let's see if I can do this. A sacrament is a sign or symbol that carries with it the effect it symbolizes. Okay. Is this something visible? Oh, it is. It's a very it's a visible thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's something that I do all the time as a priest. Yeah, it's um, good. it's it's good. Yes, thumbs up, thumbs up for cool, sacraments. Cool. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, the... grace, grace is a thing. Yeah. in it and uh, and Jesus, Whew. and yeah. um, it makes us more like uh, Jesus. Yep, and that's some um, wow. Your seminary the, did a fantastic and, job. And, and the the end, <laughs> the end. Your seminary did a fantastic job at training you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the traditional uh, the traditional um, statement is a visible sign that communicates an invisible grace is, is essentially your basic definition. Although I've never liked visible just because some of the sacraments are perceptible, but they're not necessarily visible. Like, um, uh, yeah. like confession, you don't right. see the priest. It, the, the, the effect is the words that he speaks. That's the absolution. That's where the sacrament takes effect. So... I, I prefer the word perceptible. Okay, good. But oh, yeah, no, just go ahead, to go ahead, totally go nitpick you. Yeah, that's actually kind of harkening back to our our language about God created everything visible and invisible. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like church language for um, stuff that is uh, material Created. or in this world. Yeah, right. That's Created true. Stuff. That's fair. That's, that's fair. Words. I didn't think of that. That's fair. You, you can be smart sometimes. I had a good thought. Yeah. You are so smart. S M R T. So. As I mentioned earlier, I, I was teaching the Missionaries of Charity on the theology of Pope Benedict. And this, it, when I was reading him, he was putting some threads together that I've kind of always been aware about, but it just, it, it kind of, it all came together. Okay. And one of the big things he really argues for is a return to a sacramental vision. Not just sacraments, right? We, when we say the word sacrament, we usually just think the seven sacraments that the church has yeah be saying more of a whole sacramental or another word you could do is symbolic vision right okay. is another word not symbol in the modern sense but symbol in the ancient sense that of, of unifying desperate or desperate things and making them a whole reality that communicates something okay okay not symbol today is just like oh it's like a sign it's something that points to something but it's not the thing itself no symbol okay. in the ancient anyways sorry and I want to talk about this because I've really been pondering this a lot. I usually, if I if I start a thread on Twitter, this is usually a good sign. It's probably going to be podcast material. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I kid you not. I heard some controversy on Twitter, like, "Oh, bishops are talking to Father Harrison," and "Oh, people are commenting." I'm like, "Ah, good. We are definitely going to get at least one podcast out of this." So, <laughs> exactly right. So I had a couple threads on reflecting on how we've lost our sacramental vision um 
what the church can do to and how the church in some of or at least how christians and some of the ways they're proclaiming the gospel have lost that sacramental vision so we pray, we preach the kerygma without the sacramental or symbolic vision. And the thing that actually really kicked it off for me was actually not my, my reading of Ratzinger, but Father Matt Fish. Uh, Father on, Matt Fish, the brilliant, the brilliant Father Matt Fish. And who I got to meet in Washington. Awesome, oh, awesome guy. Uh, just really, really good priest. And yeah, you should follow him on you Twitter. Really should. Yeah, you really should. Yeah, you really should. He's... And he was really talking about this. He, it's, it's his thread that really kind of got this thinking for me, where he talks about how the idea of the Christian as disciple isn't really actually the primary image. He's, Go on. He says it's a Greek concept. Now, he's, I talked to him about this. I said, are you saying we shouldn't be taking Hellenistic forms on our language as Christians? He goes, no, 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 I'm not saying that. Disciples, uh, uh, it's something the Bible uses. So we have to kind of accept it. But he says it's something more than that. <laughs> we... We just when we hear that word disciple, we tend to think um, this is a guy who teaches me some truths that I have to now live out in my own life, and that's about as far as we go. And that's why he doesn't like discipleship language. He says the Christian following of Jesus is a mystery, like not in the sense of like oh my God, but it's re it's like an entering into the mystery of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a participation, Christian. The following of Jesus is more of a participation than a living out of teachings. It's not just a, uh, it's going his way, ritually and in a lived out way, rather than just, um, okay, this guy taught some nice truths 2,000 years ago that can apply to my life today, which is frankly how most of us see Jesus, the discipleship model. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying people who preach discipleship models are, are saying this per se, but I'm just saying this is the way people see jesus he was a nice guy who taught some things two thousand years ago uh that are applicable to me today so i can be a good person so i can go to heaven amen this is not the gospel folks uh-oh this is not the gospel and i want to so i want to kind of go through some stuff that so one of the talks i gave to the sisters was benedict's christology or his teaching on jesus and he says this this is a this is a great I want to just read this quote because it's just brilliant. Go for it. He says, we have, to read this, we have to rediscover the Jesus of faith and the Jesus of history are not separated. There's something united. But he's not talking about this from the academic perspective. He's talking about this more from like a, a lived theological perspective. And he says this, we will have to listen to the sources which testify to that beginning and thereby correct our present age when it loses its way in its own ideals. This humble submission to the word of the sources, this preparedness to have our dreams torn from us and to bow to the re to reality is a base prerequisite for a true encounter. An encounter demands the asceticism of truth, that humility of listening and seeing which leads to authentic perception of truth. Beautiful. Okay, let's, let's, okay, let's pump pa. the brakes. Okay. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Okay. Because I agree, that is beautiful. But let's break this down a little bit. Okay. So it seems like in, in a lot of, I guess even, the, I guess you say, the greater Christian culture, there is this idea of Jesus that is taught. Right. So everyone has like a general idea of who Jesus was. Right. You know, nice guy. And maybe even understanding like, oh, he's the son of God, yada, yada. 
<laughs> did they sing? Did you just yada yada Jesus? Sorry, I did exactly. Yeah, that's a, right? yeah. But that's I mean that's kind of how joke. we approach the gospel. But basically, because I mean, mm-hmm. and when people go to mass a lot of times, that's what they hear. They hear the yada yada. Okay. Yeah. But I know what that means. Me parishioner going to mass. Um, I'd be a good person. Mm-hmm. I do good things. Yep. And you know what? I don't murder people. You know what? I even when I I screw up, you know, I'm I'm a good person. Yeah. And that's what Jesus wants me to be. Jesus doesn't care about this, that, the other thing. I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, that's the kind of quote unquote discipleship that we experience. I'm going to follow in general what I see as Jesus's moral yeah. you know, teachings. But what Benedict is saying in that lovely quote is that hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's not pretend we know who Jesus is. Yeah. Let's not pretend like we've heard this and that and the other thing. We've worn our what would Jesus do bracelets and assumed we knew what that meant. No, 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 no. Let's actually encounter Jesus Christ. Yeah. And when we do that, and when we take the gospel and the gospels mm-hmm. seriously, mm-hmm. we experience something wholly different than the <laughs> yada, yada, yada Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so and it's, so this is the point he's going to get at. So I want to, I got to give you a little history lesson here. We're going to go back to the Reformation. Oh my goodness. Back in time. So his back point, he, the point, the point he's trying to, uh, this is really central to understanding sacramentality. He's saying mm-hmm. this, in Jesus Christ uh, created time in humanity, like our time, and God's eternity have come together in Jesus Christ. So that means that human created time has been lifted up into the infinity or the eternity of God. Mm-hmm. What this means then is that historical events that happened once in history and we see as just the past are no, aren't just in the past anymore with Jesus. They're always in today for us. And this is, the, this is at the heart of the Christian sacramental vision. Sacrament means I have access to Jesus today, that I'm living in the mystery of his life, death, and resurrection today, that what happened to him in particular is now universal for the whole Christian people, and that happens through the church. There is a reason he is huge on ecclesiology for all this. And where do you counter this most perfectly? Through liturgy. It's a ritual way of communicating all this. But he blames Luther for why we've lost this. Blames, I'm all about blaming Luther. We are all we're all in the Luther shaming. We're here uh, <laughs> on the Clerically Speaking podcast. We are all about blaming Luther. Yes. So with Luther, Luther felt that there was a real problem in Christian theology at the time, that the church was appropriating the life and mysteries of Jesus to the church herself too much, and forgetting the Jesus of history. So what he means by this is to say, like, um, the church would look to scripture and would talk about um, how that scriptural event is being lived out in mystery in the church today. Um, I can give like a, an example is that the Fourth Lateran Council, uh, Pope Innocent III, give me one second to find the quote here, because I have it in my notes. Oh, where is it? Ah, here it is. Second, at the uh, Fourth Lateran Council, um, Innocent III, to open the council, says this. I, he quotes uh, Luke twenty two fifteen. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover for you. And then he would go on to speak about King Josiah, who in the 18th year of his reign, uh, he, uh, he, of his reign, he restored the temple and celebrated a Passover. And so to Innocent, who in the 18th year of his reign as Pope, 
was to restore the temple of the Lord, the church, through the Passover, which he saw as the working of the council. So Innocent puts himself in Josiah's place. He sees the church's present identity always in the past, so as to go towards the eternal destiny, which is the heavenly Jerusalem. So you see the church appropriating a scriptural event to speak of what she's happening today. And Luther didn't like this. He says, no, no, you're, you're losing the history. Now, Luther was a humanist. He loved uh, the humanist tradition. And the humanists were trying to kind of rediscover this whole idea of the Jesus of history. What did the documents really say? What does, what does the scriptures really tell us about all this? But the problem with Luther's historical vision is that he removed it from the sacramental vision. You see, Innocent is acting out of the sacramental vision. This past event, King Josiah, speaks to us today and is being enacted today, which leads us towards our destiny. So past, present, and future always come together in that moment. That's what sacrament really is for Benedict. It's all of time, all these, it's, it's a past, it's a present, and it's a future all at once. Luther's saying, no, the Christian should only be caring about the past. And if you're only caring about the past, suddenly the Christian view of time through Christ loses its hold on a sacramental vision. Okay. Am I making sense so far? Yeah. Let what, me what slow you, you down. Yeah, let me, please slow me down because I can. So I'm going to try. You, yeah. See, yeah. I don't want to steal your thunder, but okay. you might be getting to this. But I think it, it might be a helpful example anyway. Yeah. So one of those classic distinctions or, or conflicts that we have with you know various Protestant denominations yeah. is that um, we know that the Mass is a sacrifice. Right. Catholics say Mass is a sacrifice. Like that is a core of what we understand the Eucharist yeah. to be. And a lot of times, a lot of Protestants will say, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Jesus already sacrificed himself for us. Right. Like, how dare you? And this yeah. is the, the, the quote, you know, how sacrifice him again. Exactly. Like, that's impossible. Yeah. So you see this kind of difference. But we as Catholics say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. This was not just some, not just a historical man who died once, and that's just an event in the past. Right. And, and Protestants say that event, you know, that means everything has happened yeah but catholics will say no, no no because this is the god man whatever happens to him has an effect throughout time yeah exactly so we say at mass the reason why it's a sacrifice is because at mass we don't re-sacrifice jesus no we actually enter in to that one sacrifice that it's happened the once means and for all. yeah it's the means right. to access yeah so you see how that works. Like this is, yeah, an event that happened historically, but we as Catholics know because of who Jesus is and because of grace, mm -hmm. this moment, we can actually re-enter into it. It changes all of history. Yeah. So really there is only one mass, yeah. even if we go to multiple masses. Yeah. So that's why you have the dynamic of both time yeah. and eternity. Exactly. And that's why when you read scripture, it's always alive. Yeah, it has exactly. Something, so that's when the Pope could be like, hey, this happened in Scripture. It's happening now in the church. Exactly. That's okay, a way to read it. Yeah. And now what Luther says is, wait a second. You were making that way too specific to yourself. Yeah. You're making it all about yourself. Yeah. And I think there, there might be something in that critique, but it, like with most things with Luther, he goes too far, right? right. Like it might not be a one-to-one -one typology sort of thing where like, <laughs> oh, this happened in the Bible. This happens to me. It's the exact same thing. No, 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 not, not there. But there's something about those moments that have kind of this 
yeah. eternal resonance. Yeah. So we can kind of enter into scripture exactly. in a grace-filled way. And so So I don't know if that made it more clear for people. I don't know. But, but that's what I'm hearing well, right no, now. Because so yeah, what you're saying about this vi- this view about how maybe some people see how Catholics you see the the sacrifice of the mass is pointing to exactly mm-hmm. this. Because yeah. if it, if you're not if you're not taking the sacramental view of time, then all you see is what the Catholics are doing is just one new sacrifice over and over a new sacrifice yeah. every single time. Sure. But if you take it with the kids, you said, no, no, it's, it's, it's this one mass. We're entering into this one place. So there's a, yeah. And we're, again, we're not, this is not meant to be, we're not bashing Lutherans or Protestants in general with any of this. We're just saying this is what Luther presented. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Benedict has some qualms with this because he's actually moving away from the traditional Christian view of time. He's saying like, yeah. in, in other words, he's criticizing Luther's Christology. He's criticizing Luther's Christology. So now, with Luther's view of of Jesus, and he's taking about this idea that this time is that these historical moments are now made universal and accessible for the whole church through his body. He's saying now, what Jesus did happen two thousand years ago. It's not happening today. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's like the only real way to actually have access for his redemption to actually work for us is it has to happen to us today. And there has to be a means and a mode of access for us. So mm-hmm. I want to go on with this, too, because I don't want to waste everyone's time too much with all this. But now there's a lot of books that are connecting um, nominalism and the Protestant Reformation with a lot of modernity. But there's there's something to this here. So let's this take a second to reflect on modernity. We see time as linear and we only see it as linear. Mm-hmm. It's only the one, one, one. It's the pa- one thing after another. One thing after another. There is a past, present, and future, but it's only in a linear fashion. They don't see oh. them all together. For the Christian, it's all seen as a one thing in Christ. So it's just a series of events. So that's why for the modern person, God may be real, but he's not active in the world. And it's because for modernity has really opposed nature and grace or the supernatural and the natural. And we see this physical and the spiritual as increasingly diametrically opposed. So when this happens, sacramentality begins to be seen as superstition, Mm -hmm. archaic. And it's actually really, really difficult to communicate this to people. People are like, well, how do we communicate this, our, our sacramental vision to people? I'm like, honestly, by starting intentional communities with friends and family, who believe this as well and forming people in it so that they can see the world through a sacramental lens rather than a modern lens because there is no i'm starting to realize there really is there is no real bridge between the two worldviews anymore well it's like how do you teach like a child what the world is yeah like well they kind of have to just experience it yeah and be around people and learn a language yeah and that's why sometimes it's so difficult to speak and to communicate yeah. with people of other faiths because even though we, we say a lot of the same words and even believe some of the same things yeah. the Catholic universe is radically different exactly than the Protestant universe and exactly. that's not something you can communicate in just one conversation right hence the tradening the, hence the tradening yes, yes. so <laughs> um, he's going to go on to talk about like how this is why Luther's vision of history really this there's a reason that the effects of his view of Jesus and time really brings about modern biblical scholarship to a negative sense of the word, right? It's all about finding the real Jesus of history behind the lens of faith. This is where it's all coming from. There, like mm-hmm. This article 
uh, by Benedict is brilliant because he's doing a lot more in 20 pages than he's saying, <laughs> you know, which is his style. It's typical. So, yeah. okay. So I want to kind of get, but I really want to get to the sacramental vision thing. He says at the heart of the Christian claim though, is that Jesus is Lordship over time. Jesus is the one who is and who was and who is to come. And he's all three of those things at once. In Jesus, eternity enters time in order to lift time up into eternity. He says, whoever grasps time merely as an unreconcilable uh, disappearing moment and lives accordingly turns away in principle from what the figure of Jesus constitutes and what it proclaims. Yeah. In other words, seeing life as simply a series of events of one occurrence after another makes it difficult to encounter Jesus, who is the Lord of history. For the Christian, time is not merely linear because eternity has entered time and history in Jesus Christ. Which is why Pope Innocent saw the events of the Old Testament happening in him. He saw history in a way as a sacrament. It, in a way. They see it in a sacramental lens. If God can well, do this is... in the past, he can do this today. And so what happened in the past is happening today. And so it's the same event. It's the same God who's at work. And so... He, God is always using scripture to interpret our present day events. Sorry, you wanted to say something. Yeah, so, and this is something that I think I also talked with Matt Fish before on Twitter, is that there's this idea that the Christians, early Christians all thought this was the end of the world, yeah. that Jesus would be turning quickly, and they were obviously wrong about this, and after a while they realized that, and they changed their tune. Right. But we would say, no, 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 they were absolutely right. Right. Because of the sacramental vision of time, this is, in a very real and even literal way, the end yeah. times. Yeah. Like Christ is coming soon. Because past, present, future, this is all bound up in the one Christ who we encounter. Yeah. So, yes, it is the end times. And, yes, we should act like it's the end, end times. It wasn't a historical mistake on their part. They saw the world differently. Yeah. They saw the world sacramentally. Exactly. So... <sighs> There is, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to go off my notes now. Um, <laughs> so what I was getting at with all, what I'm trying Race to get yourself, at, people. What I'm trying to, yeah, notes. here we go. Buckle in. Buckle in. It's it's like thread moment. Uh, Defcon level five it. here. Okay. <laughs> the sacramental vision then, as we can hear, just there's a lot more to say about what he says, but the sacramental vision is essential to being a Christian. It's essential. And in fact, one of the interesting things that's happened in Protestant scholarship in the last 50 years is a rediscover of a sacramental vision that they actually start to see. This is actually essential to what it means to be a Christian. Um, again, when I'm, I'm saying, because this is something I, I noticed a lot of people were getting confused about on Twitter. When I say sacramental, I'm not talking about sacramentals like scapulars and rosaries and stuff. And I'm not talking about the seven sacraments. I'm talking about a whole way that you see the world. Mm -hmm. It's about changing your vision. So... This is where my struggle has come in, though, because we as Catholics, I find, when we're proclaiming the gospel today, talk about Jesus and what he did for us and how you can appropriate his cross for him from 2,000 years ago is not in a sacramental way. We're talking okay. about, okay, you can make a personal decision for Jesus today. You can let his cross take take hold of you today. You can say to Jesus, I want your redemption to take real life in me today. 
but for the for the catholic vision that is always and everywhere a liturgical and sacramental action because it is the place where we encounter and enter into the mystery of his life you want to you want his cross to take real root in you go to mass receive the eucharist go to confession um it's liturgical means it's ritual means that we have to go into that so we but when we're preaching the kerygma we're preaching it in a way that says jesus did these things two thousand years ago this is why you need jesus because you're a sinner true so far right yeah but they're like when we when we're preaching the kerygma we're also saying so now you can appropriate that sacrifice to you today by making this act of faith. Mm-hmm. I find that difficult. When Peter preaches in Acts of the Apostles after Pentecost, he goes off on a whole rant about the Old Testament. Because this is my other beef. We separate Jesus from the Old Testament when we're preaching right, about his cross yeah. and resurrection. You cannot understand super wrong. You cannot understand <laughs> the cross and resurrection apart from the Old Testament. It is impossible because Peter, when he's preaching it, uses the Old Testament to show how Jesus is to use the Old Testament to interpret what Jesus' death and resurrection did. We are not Marcionists. We believe the Old Testament has a purpose and it's absolutely essential to know it to lead you to this. And when Peter's preaching this, he's preaching all about, he's talking about, um, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets. He's talking about David and how this shows what Jesus did. It's interpreting his death and resurrection in a new way. And, and the death and resurrection informs how they see the Old Testament in a new way too. And then he says, you did this to him, to the crowd, right? You are sinners, right. in other words. You are sinners. And they were, it says they were cut to the heart and they said, what do we need to do? He says, repent of your sins and be baptized. Now, people will say, when they're saying we're talking about the kerygma, well, we talk about baptism, we talk about mass. Yeah, but you're still missing the point here. We're, we're treating them in functionalist terms where we're saying, oh, yes, well, we're Catholics, so here's some sacraments too, because that's a Catholic thing. No, no, the whole sacramental vision is to say the natural ending point is to say, I need to be baptized because that's the place where his cross and resurrection takes hold of me and enters me into the mystery of his life and to enter into full initiation into these mysteries. We don't do this when we're preaching the kerygma generally. We've I, Now, when I'm criticizing this with regards to how we present the kerygma, I'm not saying that these people are bad and evil when they're doing this. I think they're going in the right direction because they want to preach it. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying we're not going far enough yet. We're not going far enough. Let's go further. Let's really rediscover what Peter did in the Old Testament, in Acts. And let's rediscover how we preach with the Old Testament. Let's rediscover preaching it through a sacramental lens, which sees that the past, present, and future is alive and active today in my preaching. And then thereby the kerygma starts to make more sense. The kerygma detached from the sense of time is an unhealthy vision and it's actually speaking the kerygma in modern terms. And I can go on. I'm going to shut up because you need to speak. <laughs> so I think the <laughs> issue is, and I agree with what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the issue is, and, and the reason why I think a lot of people had uh, issue with what you were saying mm-hmm. is because we've attached ourselves to certain words like discipleship, like, you know, um, missionary discipleship all this stuff like oh that's a good thing father harrison's yeah. saying it's not a good thing and that's not what you're that, saying that's not what i'm saying we need a deeper understanding of what it is yeah um and maybe a way to i don't know redeem that in in this you know sacramental vision is you are a disciple of jesus christ because 
he is because he is alive now yeah part of what being a disciple is not just following teachings and then doing what he said oh i need to be baptized but disciple following him following him into the sacraments and encountering him there yeah like that's what real discipleship is yeah so it's it's a subtle distinction but it's a, also a drastically important one exactly this is about i mean this is bring up a, a new term this is about it sounds like divinization yeah we are becoming like christ we are becoming like god by entering into him in the sacraments yes and that we first learn about that through hearing the word but yeah. then it's a lived reality yeah and so that's what we have to understand by discipleship exactly and the thing is i think the reason why this might be lacking is because the church hasn't been expressing this in the west yeah and giving this to people so you have good and holy people who are trying to rediscover this but because it's not coming i don't know uh, it's not coming from the priest as much it's yeah. not coming from this like deep history yeah you, of course you're gonna miss some stuff yeah, yeah of course uh, and it's not it's no one's fault yeah exactly except except our fault yeah, <laughs> except yeah. like the priest's fault yeah right? yeah so this is as we get closer and closer to remembering and discovering who the church what the church and who the church is and yeah. rediscovering our faith and all the stuff that we're going through we have to realize we've got to have conversations where we critique each other yeah and not to do so in a kind of defensive way but like exactly wait we're close but this is better yeah exactly like we're in this together exactly and understand that and i think that's what your your thread in your conversations eventually got to it was i gotta say it was a real experience of what good the theological discussion can look like because we weren't mm -hmm. we weren't casting suspicion on anyone there was a little bit initial defensiveness i think oh, but yeah, as you clarify true. terms people think oh wait no you're not attacking me. i'm like no i'm not attacking you i mean i'm having i mean it was great to have a conversation with with a bishop with someone who with some people who are actually very involved in these movements i can say in canada i one one person dm'd me afterwards who's quite involved with alpha said to me hmm your points made me rethink maybe there's a better way to go about alpha mm. i said yeah it's not i'm not saying let's not let's stop these things i'm saying but let's do them let's let's really get full on into the richness of the christian tradition and let's yeah. really live these things out because it's this whole vision like it, it really communicates something about how to live you're going to start to see, wait, no, I have to do the mass. I have to go to mass on Sunday because like, that's how you enter into the mystery. Like, it's just, it's logical. It makes sense. And we can, and there's all sorts of other things that it's just going to really do. And like uh, this, I, I don't know about you, but I've really loved preaching on Ephesians this week. I have been. Oh, I, I haven't. I've okay. preached on the gospel each day. <laughs> uh, I've been going. F f today I did the gospel, but Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday I went all out on Ephesians, and I was just in it because Paul is talking about the church and how the church is the means to faith. Because this is the other thing. Someone said to me. I had a couple people say, "Well, what do you call when someone says I choose Jesus in my life?" I said, "That's belief." They said, "No, that's faith." I said, "No." Faith mm. is something that comes from baptism. It's a gift. Yeah. It's, it's something that works oh, in and man. through you. It's it's something that you can you can um, interiorize and accept and make personal, but it's not an it's not a personal scent. It's a gift that comes only through baptism. And this is something. And guess where that comes from? The church. What, if yep. you, if you look at your baptism ritual, um, you, you, when you ask the parents, what do you ask of God's church? There's two possible responses, right? Yep. What are those two responses that they can give? 
if you can hear me still because we're getting lag. Okay, so what are the two responses that parents can give if um, if when you ask them what do you ask of God's church? You can add uh, baptism yep. or faith are the two like options. Exactly, gives. exactly. And there's a logic You're to asking that. asking the church to give them faith. Yeah. Exactly. Faith comes through the church. There is faith only comes through the church and you need the church to communicate that. And the church is the place of the mystery. Um, Pope Benedict says in one of his articles that he says that the rediscovery of the Christian co concept of mystery this century is the greatest, redis the greatest discovery of the century. Hmm. And it's calling us back to live this out. So going forward, I don't have a set, I don't have a set pragmatic sense of going forward. My encouragement is this: first, read yourself some good Benedict because his theology and stuff is amazing. Um, I might be willing to even give this talk on Twitter one day through like a Periscope or something like that, since I've got the notes all ready to go. This is a condensed version, um, <laughs> quote unquote condensed. But really get. I asked I, one of the key themes I was really encouraging with the sisters is that Jesus is Lord yesterday, today, and forever. And that's what, that's at the heart of what it means for a sacrament. And I, and I, I was pointing out as we're going through, I said, what do you hear here? They said a sacramental vision. They got it towards the end. It takes time. Yes, yeah. It just takes yes, time. Yeah. It takes study. It takes prayer. But if we start to reappropriate this, we can then start taking our preaching and our missionary, our missionary zeal, and really giving it that full Catholic vision. Mm. I'm not. I'm not discounting leaning on our Protestant brothers and sisters, who a lot of these models are based on. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's not perfect. All right. I'm just saying we could do better. We can do more. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I know they can be effective. I've seen them be effective, but because if we make the sacraments an unnatural adding on to our preaching, then people see what's the importance of the sacraments. If yeah. you have a sac a sacraments only makes sense in the sacramental vision, how we're going to communicate that to people who are modern and don't see things this way there. Uh, Benedict goes at great lengths in one of his essays and his uh, collected works on liturgy about why sacramentality is so hard to, for people to perceive today. And I could go, that I'm not going to go into it right now because we'll be here for another 20 minutes. Yeah. But there's a real divide and it's actually almost impossible to speak it it's really it's got to be something lived and i think this is where you get to the the idea of beauty yeah is how this is going to be communicated yeah yeah exactly exactly well there's a reason the real push behind beauty is a push behind the idea that um jesus is or that beauty is the place that attracts and it's 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 the form right form yeah. is where content is made present so the form is what's going to allow us. And that's what beauty is. That's what the whole talk about beauty is about. It draws us into something. It says, you can look at the world differently. Mm -hmm. So I can go on. I think we should cut it off right there. Um, right, because we've got Tommy coming up, right? We did, but then uh, he saw that I was talking too long again. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he left. Yeah, he left. He's no longer on the line. Sorry, Tommy. We'll have you on next week. Uh, I'm not sorry. This is his fault this time. That's true. That's true. This time it's your fault, Tommy. Ooh, shame Tommy. on you. Shame, shame. Uh, so uh, I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, you can find us at Clerical Pod on Twitter. I'm at Fr Harrison. I'm at Father Sharapa. You can email us at Clerically Speaking. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play and a couple other devices. Our RSS streams out there too. Please leave a review on Google Play and, and iTunes. It helps other people find us. And until next week, we will say God bless. 
Peace.